0: If you've been listening to my show, you know that the importer on the back of the bottle is one of the surest ways to guarantee a quality bottle of wine. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Taub Family Selections. Talb Family Selections is a dynamic fourth generation family owned wine import company with a truly incredible portfolio of fine wines from 11 countries. These wines not only embody the unique terroir in which they are produced, but the passion and integrity of each family member involved from vineyard to table. Notable estates include Mastro Berardino, Bertani, Travellini, Ferrari. Koldorsha, Trimbach, Jean-Luc Colombo, Jean-Michel Jarin, among many other renowned producers. They also have from Bordeaux, Lafitte Rothschild from the left bank, and on the right bank, they have Chateau Lafleur. I'm telling you, these guys have it all. To find out even more, go to TaubFamilySelections.com That's T-A-U-B FamilySelections.com Hey, I'm MJ Taller also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is a passionate wine expert with over 25 years in the wine business, founder and president of Fast Selections, Lyle Fast. Lyle was the founding wine buyer at Crush in New York City and the German wine buyer at Chambers Street Wines. He founded Fast Selections in 2013 and has grown it to be one of the leading Importer retailers in the United States. They specialize in wines, and we haven't. Even, I haven't even been drinking yet. From France, Burgundy, the Rhone, Champagne, Loire, Jura, and Bordeaux. Italy, Barolo, Brunello, Barbaresco, Umbria, Valtellina. Germany and Switzerland. In addition to wine, Lyle is a passionate, some might say obsessive, collector of sneakers, as well as a big lover of hip-hop. More on those subjects to come. Welcome, Lyle.
1: It's great to be here, MJ. Thank you so much for having me. And uh... I hope I don't say anything stupid.
0: Oh, you have to. That's what this thing is for, man. <laughs> You're going to have to go back and listen to some episodes.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll try and minimize the stupidity. Usually, like, one ridiculously stupid thing that I have to apologize for, I average every 90 minutes.
0: So. Oh, okay. Well, I we got about 90 minutes, so we'll get at least one silly Oh, thing. it'll be a doozy. Um
1: tell everybody about the wines you brought this evening. Okay, so I brought three different wines that kind of represent three different uh, kind of important uh, styles, you could say, but not styles of wine, styles of kind of why I sell them. Mm. Uh, The first is a wine from Savoie. Savoie is a place that I am in love with. Uh, I love visiting. It's beautiful. It's mountainous and and, you know, you get that sweet, sweet alpine air and just stunning visuals, beautiful food. The town of Annecy, where I stay, they call that the Venice of uh, France, you know, beautiful waterways. And this is from a village called Xinyin, uh which is very small, like, 200 people small, you know, like if you're far away from it, you can kind of, you know, crush it with your finger, uh, and your thumb, you know. Is that the kids, of, the kids exactly, in the hall? Exactly. <laughs> like the kids in the hall sketch. You can crush the town. And, uh, Xinyin, if it says shinyan on the bottle, that means it's only this indigenous grape called Jacquère. But if it says shinyan bergeron, that means it is 100% Roussan. And this is 100% Roussan. It's Ooh, aged in a concrete egg. Um, and it's, a, it's a unique egg. Uh, it 's la christine it 's named after two christines I know one is berlioz 's wife the other i 'm not quite sure who she is it 's a beautiful, beautiful label it 's the most expensive wine in the Savoie um, and I brought it because this is a wine that is not available through the three-tier system because it would be ridiculously expensive. I mean, I have been selling it – I think the, this vintage, I'm selling for around $90. So, through three tiers, this would be like around $150, $140 bottle of Savoie wine, which is kind of crazy. Um, but – it needs air. We opened it. I don't think it'll come into its form and probably for another hour, I'd say. So that's wine one and we'll be definitely sipping on that and it keeps evolving. It's, it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite wines in the world. One of the great white wines of France, actually. Ooh. And then, uh, I definitely am known for hyperbole. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least <laughs> then the next we have a Spate Burgunder, which is German Pinot uh, from an estate called Turle and uh, they are in Rheinhessen in a small village called Saulheim, and they are arguably the best producer of Pinot Noir in Germany mm. um, they have two Grand Cru sites this one is called Hulle or H-O-L-L-E which I think is literally translated as Hell um, and then you also uh, have another site Called Probsty. Hola is their best site. They make Riesling as well from it. Um and the progress that they have made since I started working with them 2013, I think it was the first vintage, uh, is remarkable. They went from being who is this to this is one of my most allocated estates now. Um and the growth has been unbelievable for them. They're two brothers stand up guys constantly pushing the envelope, just brilliant producers of Pinot. And then I have and also there's an inefficiency of a three tier system there too. I sell this I sold the sixteen for probably around forty five. Now I'm selling the eighteen and nineteen, uh which are very renowned for them for around maybe sixty, maybe sixty five. I'm not sure. And again, if that was through three tiers, that would be an eighty or ninety dollar German Pinot, which is a hard sell. That's a tough sell man. Yeah i work some retail, too. That's a tough sell. That's a tough sell. Imagine what that's on a restaurant list. You know, that becomes a museum piece. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we like uh, wine cellars. We don't like wine libraries uh, or wine museums, I should say. Um, You know, that's what I call a restaurant wine list that has wines on it that just don't move. Wine museums. Yeah. Um, I like that.
0: (laughs) Exactly. It's kind of true, right? Oh, yeah. and, and, And part of that
1: game, like if you want that grand award, you have to have... All the top wines. Exactly. You know, even if I mean, you don't sell them, you even know. if you don't sell them, it's very, very important because, you know, German Spapergunder, you know, you have one or two and you're okay. No one will order it. You know, um, it's just it's not quite there in restaurants in America. In in Germany, it definitely is there, and I still have never seen a German Spapergunder in France, but they're very provincial there. Yeah. Which leads me to the next wine. <laughs> we call him the kid because he is a kid. His name is William Whitehead, and he is the winemaker of Domaine. Rebord. They're based in Pomard. And he started making wine when he was 18 years old. I don't want to say what I was doing at 18 growing up in New York City, but it was not making wine from Pomard, Pesaro, well, Rougien. Part of it's legal now. So, uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Part of it is legal now. Thank goodness. And William is an amazing kid. He, I started working with him at the 17 Vintage. Um, he has a French mother and an English father. The English father was a retailer and, uh, he has. You know, this is a quote unquote, I like to call this a before they were famous estate because uh, he's got the chops. There's no question. His breakthrough vintage, I believe, was 19. So I brought a 19 here like I will get winemakers if the wines are not perfect. You know, if I see per- potential in them to be amazing. And that's the same deal with Torla and uh, Raborgian. And he, I mean, you look at a picture of this guy. He is a kid. Yeah. And he looks like he's 15 yeah. and uh, and he, he he's so sweet, such a good kid and Unbelievably talented. And the thing is, he's making wine this good, and he's not eighteen anymore. He's like twenty-two, making wine this good at twenty-two. The potential is unlimited for him. And I brought uh, the great Peserol. Uh, that's his. Uh, I think not his best wine, but you know there are people who think pezzerol is the best vineyard in Palmar. I think it's Rougien, uh, But his Peserol. Is fantastic. And it's also always fun to compare German Pinot with mm. red burgundy mm. side by mm. side. Mm. Well, you could tell
0: it's gonna be a fun one. Uh <laughs> it's gonna be a fucking fun one for sure. Uh um awesome. Um Oh man. Awesome wines. Uh that I've
1: never had. So this is really dope. Thanks for bringing them. No problem.
0: So uh we start at the beginning, man. Where would you uh where would you grow up?
1: I grew up in New York City. Okay. Upper East Side.
0: Um and and uh you said illegal th- you know you did a lot of things you can't speak of or
1: whatever. Uh what what uh was the 80s 90s Are you an 80s 90s kid? Yeah, I was born in 1974, so I grew up in Manhattan when it was it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was different. I love New York. I'm still living here now, but it's a different vibe. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- you just, there was so much freedom back then, but there was also an element of danger, which I really liked, right. Um. you know, I mean, I would be hanging out in Central Park at night, you know, when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, et cetera, you know. People now are thinking, oh well, that's not a big deal. It was a big deal back then, you know. It was just, you know, it was a big crew of us hanging out in, in Central Park, and you know, doing whatever. Let's just, uh, you know, put it that way. And uh, it, it was a, it was, it was a fun time. And we also hanging out. I hung out tons on rooftops, um, you know, rooftops and stoops, and Central Park. That's definitely a lot. And obviously when my friend's parents would go away and we had those apartments. That was always a lot of fun. There was no question about that. There was a great scene. What movie was it? Um, I cannot think of the name right now but the ice storm okay yes yes the ice storm they, that definitely had a scene in there where parents were away and you know kids were causing trouble that's definitely there were a lot of scenes in my youth like that uh, you know I mean it was always about when the parents are going away <laughs> I went
0: had, to a party <laughs>
1: <laughs> I went to a party at John Capon's house in the mid 90s oh yeah exactly. so I know exactly so what you, you know those parties. Yeah, I know those parties those parties were so um, much fun it was uh, it, it was <laughs> it was was terrific you know and that's and that was and and the rooftops I mean yeah rooftop parties rooftops were huge in New York I mean I've done I climbed into you know we see New York City skyline is like with lots of you know those water towers yep Yep. I totally have swam in one of those (laughs) (laughs) you know on a dare it was it was the water's not that nice Um. so but it was wonderful (laughs) growing (laughs) up I love New York City. Now it's different. Yeah. There's, you know, and the village was the village, the meatpacking district, yeah, the Rasta's selling there by oregano. <coughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and I was a deadhead back then, yeah. you know, there was this guy on a street, Julius. I remember he was selling Dreville dead bootlegs on uh St. Mark's police and a street. I used to love going out with, you know, hanging out with him and, uh, just, I mean, I bought some crazy things in stores. I remember once I brought, I bought ninja stars in a store. You know. Oh yeah,
0: that's back in the day. You could buy uh um,
1: yeah. Kubatons. Yep. It was ninja crazy. stars. It was it was insane. Uh Fucking crazy knives. Yeah. All my, it was just a box of knives and ninja stars and all these other things. Until like a, a 13, 14 year old kid, you're like, oh my God, give me some, you know, I, I didn't do anything with them. I was just like, this is cool to fucking have. Exactly. You know, and you know, you show your friends. I'm like, listen, I got a ninja star here. You know, <laughs> what can you do with it? I'm like, nothing. It's a ninja star. You know, I'm not, I'm not a ninja. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Were you the type of deadhead? Did you uh, collect tapes? Yeah, I definitely collect tapes. My life was about maxl XL2s yeah, that was
0: because uh, I had a, a roommate when I was in grad school as a deadhead and I that's how I learned about it. like, like it was high quality tapes.
1: You were, you wanted the soundboard tape. Of course the soundboard, but the ideal soundboards, the one where, where you wanted the audience as well. There were certain soundboards where you had the audience as well, because you wanted to hear the cheer when they dropped like a dark star or yeah. something and everyone going crazy yeah. or, you know, add Scarlet begonia coming out of space, whatever those moments are incredible. I mean, I went to like 150 dead shows or something and, And, uh, you know, I loved it. It, I mean, they used to play at Madison Square Garden. So, you know, we would stay up all night and then eight o'clock class would be... (laughs) Difficult, <laughs> you know, nine shows in a row. I mean, they did huge MSG runs. Oh, those were the days. Wow, God, I sound old. <laughs> well, you
0: know, I, but I was thinking about it because, like, I'm—I'll be 54 this year, and like, I watched the Super Bowl and I saw those quarterbacks, with like, they're
1: kids. I know.
0: So, like you said, this—this this young guy, 22—like, you realize I'm at an age. I'm like, wow, that is a bait. I, like you. They're. Barely shaven
1: still, man. I don't think he has facial hair yet. Yeah. He, you know, and he's crazy. got those ruddy cheeks as well. <laughs> um, you know, he looks like he's out of like a Dickens novel or something. I mean, just an amazingly talented kid and the way he's, he's so good when I was in Burgundy in February 2019 I got really the last time I got sick uh, was February 2019 and because my driver who I was with I don't speak French uh, I don't know how to drive I'm a true New Yorker um, so whenever I go to France or wherever I have to have someone drive me around and in France I have to have someone translate uh, Oleanne, I have to give her a shout out I know she's going to listen um, she uh, was my translator and driver and I was sick and I had to cancel the appointment and he came all the way to hotel with his father and with his, not with his mother, just with his father. And it was like his first presentation to an importer in the United States. I'm in a bathrobe and those crappy hotel slippers, you know, that's looking come, like, like Eddie Murphy. Yeah, Eddie yeah, Beverly Hills, cop. It, exactly. <laughs> I look terrible. I was sniffing like crazy. He comes with a six pack. I'm trying to like present, you know, my company sneezing every, every couple seconds, um, Uh, and then eventually I started tasting the wines and at the hotel at Charles de Gaulle and I was just blown away. And he had, it was tough for him in the beginning. I'm glad he stuck with me because we did like one offer and then the tariffs dropped, Mm. you know, so that killed his momentum, Mm. killed it. Mm. No one was, you know, and then the tariffs you know, went away and then the N19 came and then the momentum came back, you know, and uh, you know, people really, really love his one. Well, there's, gonna start to taste the 19s now you know 17 is a great vintage for him but it was imperfect as I said before 18 is one of those vintages that is great but you can't touch these wines for 10 or 12 years unless you like all the saliva completely extracted from your mouth <laughs> um, you know they are brutal tannic beast but 19 is just one of those vintages that is just you know a why we collect burgundy vintage and uh, just he nailed it he got the finesse he got the elegance I mean it is scary. He's making wine as good as like fifty, sixty year olds. Mm. I can't imagine. I think he's gonna be I I think he will be the top winemaker in Pomard in our lifetimes. I love it. So he's like kinda of like your couche like Kermit remember Kermit's Kermit yes. mm-hmm. Couldn't give that shit away. Oh my god. The the, the whole in the mm-hmm. beginning when I started to shift to Spapergunder, when I started selling Spapergunder, people would write back like you've gotta be kidding me. Yeah. Like I'm like, no, I'm not kidding you. Please taste these wines. You know, Annerley Mole was my first estate. And, you know, because the thing about Spapergunder, like when I was starting german pinot generally was green and bitter because it was underripe, because it was too cold and they lavish the wines with oak and oak is necessary i think for pinot noir but you need to learn how to use it Mm -hmm. it's like salt you gotta season it you know Mm -hmm. what what is what so with salt if there's great salting on a dish you don't taste it right uh and you know it's there and if there's too much salt it's the only thing you taste that's the exact same thing with wine and oak
0: It's a great analogy, man. Mm. For real. That's the truth, too. Mm. Because people don't realize like how like when you work in a restaurant, how much salt goes on a steak, but like just one grain too much. Mm -hmm. But like there's a shit ton. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like it's anyway. I I digress, but I love that's a great analogy with um oak because people trip, you know. Oh, the oakophobes! Just, oh, they, yeah, yeah. Because even like I'm like I'm like you need to understand Chardonnay and Pinot Noir actually love oak. It's got to be done judiciously. It has to be done right. Mm-hmm. But but they love it. Yeah, like they like they're not like. You know why it's called New French oak? Because that's what they fucking use in Burgundy.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole thing. The anti oak people, it's just too much, you know, uh, you know, for me a lot. And uh, how many times have you encountered like, oh, this wine is too oaky. And then you're like, I'm sorry, dude, there's no new oak on it. Yeah. That's stainless, baby. Right. right. And they're like, huh? Yep. Because people are so trained to be anti-oak. I mean, it's better now than it yeah, was but, when but I was Yeah, but you're right. Up. It's, it's, it, they're trained to be that. Like if someone wrote an article and now everybody just runs with it, right? And that's
0: like the thing they know. So. Mm-hmm. So wine. Was your family into wine? Uh, how mm-hmm. did you get exposed? Were you exposed to it as a kid? Cause Upper East Side might have been some wine dinners, right? Or? Now? No. Wine.
1: Yeah. It's, it's kind of really boring. Um, I mean, you know, so I'm Jewish and we had wine with the Jewish holidays, the high holidays, but we're not talking anything good. You know, you know, uh, what's that garbage called? Uh, Manischewitz. Yeah, man. We
0: had, we had John Brecker, Dottie and John, and he mm-hmm. thought that, that was his,
1: He's talking about the Manischewitz. Manischewitz. In the kiddish cup, yeah. you know, and it's, you know, it was like, you know, extra grape juice is what I called it. Uh, I do remember there was some dinner at my house for some holiday and there was a white Bordeaux. That's my first memory of wine. And I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I had like a little bit, it was like a huge deal. I was, you know, fourteen or whatever, thirteen. And uh <coughs> excuse me. My mother didn't drink. Uh my father, Finlandia vodka on the rocks of a piece of lime. Uh my brother didn't drink. Um, you know, I drank Crazy Horse. Um I, I remember dr- Crazy Horse? Yeah, I drank Crazy, crazy- Horse and Blunts. Yeah, what you got it? That's that, let, that's, that's that was New that's York. the pairing. That is an amazing pairing. It was crazy horror, and, and also L's Elegantes, oh um, God. yeah, and uh, there was definitely Elegantes happening. Thank you, um and also what was the one that was like an aphrodisiac uh what was the there was a 40 ounce that was an aphrodisiac it it, it was not what was it called it oh, was oh Colt 45 cult 45 because
0: yes. and it was only aphrodisiac because billy d williams <laughs> yes. did the commercial <laughs> exactly works
1: every time exactly you know cult but, for, ah, when a lady calls me that's uh, a good billy d by the way it is oh. i get out to cult 45 Billy D. The last time. time I saw anything he was on, he was on, he was in an episode of Lost. I don't know if many people know that. Well, I'm a big Lost fanatic. And Billy D. Williams was on an episode of Lost in a fake TV show in Lost. Anyway, um, I remember him from, uh, fuck, it was it? Undercover Brother. Oh yeah. Gen- General's Fried Chicken. He said, and I want you to buy my chicken. He was, he was, he was, he was so people don't realize how big he was in the eighties, man. 70s, eighties. He was Lando. I he mean, was. I mean, he was, Lan-
0: but he was like, um, he was like Denzel before there was a Denzel. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like
1: that's, there's a Denzel because of Billy D. Men wanted to be friends with him and women wanted to sleep with him. I mean, that was the whole thing with <laughs> Billy Dee. Um, You know, I mean, the charisma was unbelievable, but. I digress. So wine was not like a big thing in high school. In college, freshman year, obviously wine was not big. I moved into kind of one of these apartment style dorms sophomore year, and you went to uh, BU, right? BU study mm-hmm. art history and criticism. art history criticism and film. Okay. Yep. So I'm a big film nerd. Uh, you know. People should follow me on Letterboxd. That's my favorite social media these days. Um, and you won't. But my name—it's not my name. You'll never find well, me. Well, at the end, we'll tell people where they can yeah, follow you on. Exactly. I, what you're about here. Um, my stepmom wanted me to get a job and we talked on the phone she's like you like books why don't you work in a bookstore i'm like no it's boring um i don't want to work with books it's just boring you know and uh, she goes you know you liked wine you know you, you seem to be interested in wine you know i'm like yeah there is a wine store near me i walked into the wine store i said i need a job and I got a job. It was called the Wine Press. It's around the corner from me, so that's why it's not exciting. It's kind of it, it was not like me following my own passion. It was kind of out of necessity. Um, but then once I was in there, I you know my curiosity got me. I was like, so why are these bottles more expensive than these bottles? that was like a, a big thing like why are why other why are wines more expensive than other wines there was that fascinated me mm-hmm. because i just couldn't i mean there was stuff in a glass case that was different than all the other wines why is it $300 you know blah 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 and uh, you know they I managed to taste wines there. Let's just uh, put it that way. I don't need to get into the details. Um, <laughs> so, I managed to taste wines. I managed to uh, buy mixed cases, uh, etc. And, you know, I was very into the California stuff in the beginning because it was easy to mm-hmm. taste and it was easy to, you know, understand and had the grape on it, you know. And then the name of the winery was relatively easy. I mean, the French stuff mystified me. I would hang out on the French island and just be like, this stuff is so cool. How come there's like nine wines with like... The same name, but Mm -hmm. they're different and there's different tier. I was fascinated by it, but I didn't know. Shout
0: enough pop bottles with the, with the crest on them. You're like, what the fuck? It's Mm -hmm. so
1: cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was cool, but mysterious. Yeah, it is to this day. And they taught me, you know, and then I took a detour after that store and I worked in a huge store that people probably know, Brookline Liquor Mart. Um, And by the way, yeah, wine store names. They still are hurting to this day. I mean, it's improved a bit, but, you know, Brookline Liquor Mar, you don't think of like, you know, class and elegance or anything, you know, you just kind of. And, and Brookline Liquor Mar had an amazing wine selection, but they also had, you know, scratch offs and they all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, the 1. little 7 fives of Smirnoff. Yeah. And the little ones, you know, the little nips. Yeah, I think that's, called. When
0: you know, that's when you know you're working in a liquor store. Yeah. When, exactly. it, when you sell nips. Yeah. That's the that's the delineator. And those wonderful people that come in ten times. Times a day, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know. They, you know they. Oh my Sadly, god. you know they 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 panhandle. They get enough money. They come and buy a nip. Exactly. They go back panhandle. Get another nip. Exactly. But the markup on those
1: things, are, it's too hard for some retailers to resist. Oh my god! Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so I actually worked in a place in Brooklyn, Lickerman called the Mousetrap. You can imagine what they sold. Yes, cheese. Um and. But I would do the pairings for the wine tastings. I met the wine guys at Brooklyn Liquor Mart. We started a tasting group, and that kind of was what really got me into wine. I was tasting wine. I was with people who knew about wine, and uh, you know, I the first case of wine I ever bought was Hacienda Pinot Noir, six ninety nine a bottle. I liked it. It was sweet. Tasted like raspberry fruit cake mm. and I had a case of wine I felt really cool um you know and then the first great wine I had my buddy Lance uh who was one of the wine buyers there uh hooked me up with a bottle of Ramassene Père Edfield Corton Charlemagne Diamond Jubilee 1994 and we had some smoked aged not smoked sorry aged gouda and that that was a very impactful, important moment in my life. I love that,
0: the detail <laughs> with which you remember that. Because some people bullshit and they go, well, I don't really have an aha bottle. And I'm like, if you really into wine, and it's, these are people who work in wine, who are pretty I'm
1: like, if you really into wine, you, ha- you have an aha bottle. Oh, sorry, yeah. You just do. It's just like. It changed my life. Yeah. The fact that this liquid was elegant, I still can't mm. get over – wine is the only liquid really that is elegant. Water is not elegant. Milk is not elegant. I maybe had a couple of elegant cocktails, beer – I mean maybe some of the vintage Anchor stuff, Christmas ales back in the day, but in general elegance. No, I love that. You're breaking it down. Elegance is what wine is about. Yep. That is the most unique thing mm. about wine. And this was elegant. It floated It floated in my mouth mm. in a way that nothing else did and it gave me, it was like riding a roller coaster. I have butterflies in my stomach and mm. then you put the old oh, age Gouda. Mm. Actually I learned that it was pronounced howda is the actual real wow. pronunciation. But if you say it, it just sounds strange. So gonna keep of Gouda. Sometimes the mispronunciation becomes more Well uh, I I, first time I knew it was howda. What? So I mean
0: I, I go ask go go
1: go to Fairway and ask for some howda, and they'll look at what? Yeah exactly. You know so I, I still say Gouda. But the aged Gouda crystallizes like Parmesan. Um and it becomes sweet and has like a caramel taste to it. And this was kind of like a young Youngish Courton Charlemagne, this was in like 97, so we're talking three years old, it was maybe a current release um, but you had the kind of, in- great Corton Charlemagne kind of has this hazel nutty nuttiness to it mm. and you have that combo with that kind of caramelly uh, beauty uh, of the smoked, or the the aged, I keep saying smoke for some reason Um the aged Gouda and it was just I mean, it was it was alarm bells in my head. I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. That was the bottle. That was the match. That was the moment. Uh, It was just magic. Absolute magic. I couldn't believe it. Um, And I became very friendly with another wine buyer there. This guy named Peter. And it's time for a funny story. I did get fired from that job. And, but it's because I'm a passionate guy. Yeah. Talk so, about that. talk about why you got fired. So, I really wanted to get the most interesting cheeses. And I was dealing with this distributor, and they brought in a sample of this Comte. And I'm telling you, I was loved this Comte. It was amazing. It was really hard for me to find good Comte because a lot of Comte is kind of garbage. And, and I wanted to order it. And I said, yeah, let me get, like, you know, I don't know, a normal amount, whatever it was, or a pound, two pounds. And they said, it only comes in a wheel format. Oh. And I said, yeah, I'll be able to sell it. The wheel was, like, 90 pounds, I believe. And this was, like, and they had a special order for me. So, it comes in. And they, they, they have to actually bring the Comte in, in a hand truck. All right? <laughs> So, they got a hand truck coming in with this cheese. My boss is just looking at me like, what? And the bill was ridiculous, and I was fired the next day. Not only was I fired the next day, they shut down the mousetrap after that. And everyone was eating Conte sandwiches for the next eight months, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) And that was was the end of me there. I think it's a funny story. It It is
0: funny because I – he I, I should have just made you fucking
1: sell it. That's what I did. Well, I, I, I mean, I barely ate any of it, which really annoyed me uh, because it was so rich and creamy and beautiful and just <laughs> long and it had everything, you know. Um, yeah, it, I told, it totally shut down the mousetrap. So basically, my, the guy Peter was opening a new store in the north end of Boston. And the north end is like probably one of the only traditional old school Italian neighborhoods in the country that is left. I don't know how it is now. Right. I mean, you had like, you know, some guy coming in like, Hey, you want to buy a suit, you know, that type of a time. <laughs> it was great. I loved it. And, uh, and Peter was amazing. I consider him my wine mentor. Uh, my tasting group was great, but Peter was my wine, my mentor. I mean, I was there from the opening of the store and he organized the wines in the most fascinating way from, kind of lightest bodied to fullest bodied. Mm. There was no regional distinction. There was no anything. It was just, it went around the entire store, lightest to fullest. It was just, it was brilliant. Um, and, uh, it was a lovely store. I had an amazing time. It was dead for in the beginning for a lot. So I read Jancis Robinson's wine encyclopedia from cover to cover. And mm. that's kind of how that was your wine education. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I remember so many rainy nights just hanging out in that store, sipping something, reading that someone would come in. we had tastings on a Friday night and it was just, it was a wonderful experience. I went to my first wine tasting at that store. I lasted one hour though because I just got hammered. I uh, didn't spit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know anything how it works. Yeah. I got completely hammered. I was gone after an hour, passed out. I took the rest of the day off. He understood. He said it was a rookie mistake. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it was embarrassing. Um, but he... He just, uh, you know, Peter, Peter's wonderful. I I don't know if he's listening. He still is in Boston. He was, you know, he, he was in the restaurant scene. He was a sommelier Mm -hmm. at this very famous restaurant that doesn't exist anymore in Boston called Biba. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, we were, Wine Modega was associated with this other restaurant called Trattoria, Trattoria Ascalinatella, uh, which was an incredible Italian restaurant. It was, it was a great time in my life. It was really, I was learning about wine and, you know, from 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 the best person ever, and uh, it really, and, you know, if I didn't, I still wanted to work in wine even before that, but this was this locked it in. Um, and then I moved to New York. Yeah, so then, because uh, you,
0: you worked. worked at some of the most celebrated uh, retailers in New York City, so uh, Chambers
1: Street and Crush. But was was Chambers your first New York job? No. Okay. Whoa. So <laughs> the New York evolution, the New York evolution is interesting. I really liked a lot of my salespeople. So I thought I wanted to be into wholesale. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm not going to name the company that I worked for, but- they didn't have many good wines let's just leave it at that and unfortunately I was on a work with one day uh that's when you're working with like a brand manager or something just to be clear and these were like the most awful spanish wines you can imagine this is early 2001 this is I moved to new back to new york in february 01 this is probably june or july you know and i told the brand manager i'm like these wines are awful how do you expect me to sell them um that got to the uh, president of the company and i was fired because i said that um you know i can't sell bad wine it's impossible for me and just you know i mean I, so i got fired because there's of something i liked and i got fired because there's something i hated so i completed the circle i guess um well
0: you know it seems to interrupt you for a second because like You have been described as enthusiastic, opinionated and energetic when it comes to how you feel about
1: certain wines Mm -hmm. or the way things are done in the wine business. Yes, I agree 100 percent. I mean, I have many, many, many opinions and just I'll get to Chambers and Crush. because they're important. But the reason I needed a license in my own company is because of that. That's the entire reason I'm too opinionated and I can't. You know, people always had to rein me in and I still have to be reined in. I mean, I, you know, when you have your own business, actually all your customers and suppliers are kind of your boss, you know, but I also can say kind of whatever I want and I'll have to deal with it. You know, whatever repercussions, you know, the market dictates the repercussions, obviously, but. Um, You know, but
0: (laughs) we we did some research. We did some research, like, and you had one of those, like, on one of the wine message boards. Like, someone was just going, like, "Don't buy wine from fast selections." You know, they love
1: me on the wine boards. uh, (laughs) Like, like, basically, he's a dick. He's like, (laughs) they, they. I don't know really why I am hated on a certain wine board. Um, I think someone called me a martyr. Someone called me brain damaged. Um, You know, I I really don't know what it is. Well, part Um, of it is people
0: don't get punched in the fucking face anymore. Right. So, like, Mm -hmm. it's like you could just put it's not like you went into some shop and somebody would say some shit because they would know. (laughs) There's repercussions for your words in real life, but the internet's not real life. Internet muscles, baby. Yeah. Everyone has them. Yeah. You know?
1: I mean, whatever. I yeah. mean – But yeah. that's just interesting. I mean, I love that though. I mean you – know, I can't look at it. I mean, I don't look at it. You should never look at it. And that's yeah. the thing. Like I
0: remember when I started this, I got like one bad review. I had like – I had like 89 good reviews. I got one bad review. And then I realized like everybody has something to say and the internet makes it you to say it. And And – I read some other day and most people aren't qualified to actually have an opinion on the topic anyway. So yep. why everyone has an opinion, right? Just like everyone has an asshole. You got it. And you know, and then I've a big, I am um, in my episode. I was like, I tell people, Vivino's ass, it's trash. It's a bunch, it's 25 million people who don't know
1: fucking wine talking about wine. Oh my God. And they all think that they know everything exactly. about every topic. Right. I mean, it, it, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I don't, you know, participate, uh, in, on wine boards because of that reason, just cause it's, it's just, you know, there's some good people on wine boards. Don't get me wrong. No, but I agree. the loudest voices right, right. always are the worst voices. The people who have like, you know, you look, you're like 68,000 posts. You know, I'm like, you know, you just see that like this person has issues. Um, you know, posting 68,000 times on a wine board. Um, and there's so much hatred and groupthink. And, you know, it's just, you know, who, you, you know, when I used to be on Twitter, um, they always used to say, you know, it, you don't want to be the main character on Twitter. right?" <laughs> All right. Like and I've been the main character on wine boards too many times, you know, for and it's always completely, you know, it's just it takes on a life of its own. Uh, you know, it is what it is. And uh I don't know. And I know for a fact, you know, if I met any of these people in real life, there would be no problem in, in any way, shape or form. Right. And, right. uh, you know, and that, that's the shame of it. But, you know, you know, I, I can't, uh, uh, think about it. I used to be, you know, very, you know, I got kicked off the Parker board. I don't know if you know that no. by Parker himself. <laughs> it's a good story. So, I mean, basically, uh, Parker, The advocate, wine advocate came out and he trashed my buddy Steve Edmonds wines. Okay. And the way he trashed Steve Edmonds wines was he said, you shouldn't be making Cote de Rhone wines in California. Oh, so this is at uh, Edmund St. John's. Edmund St. John's yeah, he, which, exactly. those wines are fucking amazing. Those wines are great, exactly. You know, but this was like at the time when Parker was like seriously into like, you know, gobblicious wines. You know, the gobbier the better. And uh, so I said, Oh, wow, Mr. Parker, that's very interesting. Uh, that you say that Steve Edmond should not be making French style Cote d'Iron wines in France. And then I did the old tried and true use the guy's words to attack him. All right. I said, isn't this your review of whatever 1994 Screaming Eagle? This is a hypothetical blend of, you know, 1947 Cheval Blanc, 1982 Mouton Rothschild. Aren't those French wines? Isn't this a California wine? I used like five or six more examples. I was gone in a day or two Um, because people don't like when you use their own words against them. That's how you get them. Yeah. And uh, so he basically – is this the dumper? Yeah, you can dump it in there. And, uh, Uh, you know, this wine needs just to – the the Berlioz needs a lot of air. Yeah. Um you know, that's a 2020. Um Oof. so whatever. I was booted off the board, and then uh then I got onto wine berserkers. Um uh and everything was good, and then it just wasn't, and I still I will never understand why. I became, you know, public enemy number one there. Uh, well, not public enemy number one. I actually think I'm probably public enemy number four. I if you were like in the top 10, though, right? Like yeah, top. I'm definitely in the top 10, but like, what, you know, you know, I am not you know the architect of the biggest wine ponzi scheme of all time uh you know let's uh let's just get that out of the way <laughs> although i was grouped with that guy the other day wow. i also do not counterfeit wine and do not did not go to jail for it even though someone said i was you know in the same league uh, the other day you know um still though <laughs> well god uh, damn this is this beautiful is right german, german pinot. pinot noir german pinot noir what amazing right I'm uh, 16 amazing. and 16s just to geek out 16s in lord. northern europe are drinking beautifully right now good lord mm-hmm. man if i swish does it like does everybody hear it like mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. really loud okay mm-hmm. sorry world um it's a wine show. Beautiful There's, wine, right? Beautiful oh sweetness, but an earthy sweetness to But then it. yeah, exactly. Right amount of sweetness up front, but then it's earthy and then some fruit comes back in the end with the oak. Balanced and elegant and really really nimble and So, great German Pinot Noir, Mm. I call red Riesling. Mm. All right. And let me get – the whole red Riesling thing is very important to me because, you know, when people think of like Pinot Noir that's not from Burgundy, they always try to compare it to Burgundy. German Pinot Noir is not Burgundy. It is red Riesling. It has more in common with dry Riesling or even sweet Riesling (laughs) than it does uh, with Burgundy. Although, we're talking limestone soils here. Mm -hmm. So, it does have something – you know, similar to Burgundy, but um, it has the nimbleness and the transparency of Riesling and, and also the energy of it. You know, that is why, and the best German Pinot Noirs are in the red Riesling style. I mean, I have most of mine are in the red Riesling style. I, I look for that. And yeah. uh, I just, I love nimble. That's the word for me. It's a good word. That really uh, yeah. describes these wines. So quickly to, Circle back after I got fired for saying that the Spanish wines were shitty. Um, I one of the accounts I called on was called The Wine Shop, a store on 82nd, uh, between uh, first and uh, no, on first avenue between 82nd and 83rd Street. Uh, I worked there for a while i really la- I really liked working there. I was the German wine buyer there two thousand one German vintage is a very famous vintage. I sold tons and tons of wines from that vintage. That's kind of how like I made my reputation mm-hmm. as a german gu- German wine guy. They gave me complete autonomy over the newsletter. so I wrote a newsletter like once a month uh It was crazy getting that thing printed. I mean, you know, we use some sort of printer. It was only cash. I had to go there with like this huge amount of cash. Like it was very weird. Sketch. Um Yeah, sketch. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard, you are my generation. That's <laughs> yeah, right, man. so you understand sketch. Yeah, man. It was super sketch. Um, <laughs> but the freedom of having that newsletter definitely planted the seeds for fast elections later on. Mm. I could write and do whatever I wanted and mm-hmm. everyone responded and, you know, and I designed the whole thing myself on some horrifying program that would be laughed at today. I don't remember what it was. I think it was was like Pagemaker, but it was... Yes. but exactly. Which is now Adobe creative, but it was just called PageMaker. Exactly. <laughs> it was, uh, I loved it. I loved that newsletter. People were excited about the newsletter, anything in the, you know, because previously before I started the newsletter, they were advertised in New York times. That was like $5,000, you know, and it would be amazing, you know, but it was not really mm. consistent. It was like a week hit, a right. week of sales. The right. newsletter just, you know, circulated and circulated, circulated. It was good. Um, well,
0: hey, let's take a quick second. We have to take a quick break because you're you're gonna you just have so many stories. But let's take a quick <laughs> break. We'll come back more um, with more Lyle Fass. All right, are you ready for another great distributor to look for when shopping for fine wines and spirits? Let me tell you about Independence Wine and Spirits or IWS. IWS is one of the hot up-and-coming distributors of fine wines and spirits headquartered in New York City. Like Taw Family Selections, IWS is owned by the Taw family who have re-entered the New York wholesale market, bringing the family back to its roots in distribution where they held court from 1951 through 2004. IWS is proud to represent an exceptional portfolio of high quality, terroir centric and historic producers from around the world, including Italy and France, where they have an exciting roster of burgeoning Vin from Burgundy that are coming your way soon. They also have domestic producers such as La Coya, Cardinale, Staglin, El Molino and many more. To learn more about IWS, go to independencewine.com. Okay, we're back. So you were talking about newsletters. So the newsletter actually are, print, and, and also printed mm-hmm. newsletters. Oh yeah, because now everybody does digital shit. Mm-hmm. But I like I like a good. I still like a good. I like the paper. I, like I the loved hold it. Hold it. I'm old school. But
1: I got. You can argue that I got fired from that store too. I, um, I, I you you did <laughs> all right because I'm, I mean we've been together like an hour and I'm yeah
0: like, and you're not and and it's because. You're just someone who actually gives a fuck. You give a shit.
1: And the reason I got fired is because – so, we were having like – basically, I wanted to educate the customers on what corked wines were. Okay. And I wanted to have a little tear-off page on the front of the store that we would give to every customer. What is a corked wine? This and that. And my boss – you know, was like, then everyone's going to say every wine is corked and everyone's going to return every wine. And I'm like, you really think that lowly of your clients, <laughs> you know, that's what I said. And he wasn't, that wasn't not received that well. Um, And, you know, and that, and basically it turned into, it got pretty hot, pretty quick. And uh, I walked out. Because I believed in educating the clients on corked wine and the few jerk offs that were going to be like, this wine is corked, you know, whatever. You can't just you cannot design a a policy based on, like, you know, the naysayers. Uh, So that was the end of that job. And you could just take the bottle back and not let the motherfucker buy any more wine. Exactly. (laughs) Literally. But educating your clients is very important. Uh, And uh, unfortunately, uh, that was the end of me there, although I'm still friendly with the The owner and his wife, uh, as well. Um, I just pulled the cork. That oh, yeah. smells ridiculous. No, uh, oh, it dude. is. He is I figured a little air wouldn't hurt. Of course not. All my wines need air. I actually have a blog that I write that I track wines over two or three days because uh, I think most of my wines are better on the second day. Yeah. So that's most. That's a lot of uh, wines I think, mm-hmm. and I've seen you. I'm on your
0: list, and you have amazing twenty dollar wines, but you, if you have an eighty dollar wine, it's somewhere else would cost like three hundred. Three tier system. Yes. But these are all wines that
1: taste better the next day. If of course, you can, if you have the restraint. Exactly. There's no question. I have the restraint at home, although sometimes when I do wine dinners of other clients, the restraint, you know, goes out the window. Um, set and setting, uh, which is one of the most important things in wine. Just, you know, I remember every time I, I work, whatever wine stores I would work in, you know, sweet, just married couple comes in. I had the most amazing Chianti in Tuscany. Do you have this Chianti? And it was always like some 10 or $12 shit ass Chianti, know. you know? And I'd be like, I don't have this Chianti, but I have something that's probably better. No, I want this one. Yeah. And then I try and launch into like, I think that wine tasted amazing because you were on your honeymoon in Tuscany. The rolling hills and the set and setting maybe enhance the taste of, you know, this $10 bottle of Chianti, which I can't get. Um, So try this one. No, no, I need Uh this one. Set the, and setting. The, that's the joys how I, of retail. Yeah. It's that's so how I learned true. about set and setting. Set and setting is so important, you know, because wine is not just about the liquid in the glass. It's about, you know, the experience that surrounds it. And even some of the smartest, best pals in the world can fall to set and setting, you know, and set and setting is, you know, and it's, it's, it's I could go off on it for a while. So I left that store that I got fired at because of the corkage. And then I worked at... <laughs> I'll just say it the best place I've ever worked at and I worked there twice Chamber Street Wines these were my people mm. there's no question uh, about it um and uh I just loved it so much it was the educating the customers you know just everyone into wine Jamie and David I just saw Jamie yesterday uh, I mean I live close there I mean Jamie and David are still friends of mine um I just I love that store. I love what they do. Mm-hmm. I love everything about them. And it's an amazing launching pad. So many people have launched their own companies and careers just from that store. You know, it's kind of, it's just, they love it. They're passionate. They, they are amazing people. My first wine trip, well, I went to Bordeaux at the old store where they fired me. Um, that was a crazy trip. And then, uh <laughs> and three weeks in Bordeaux was too long, by the way. Um, And then, They also took me, uh, David Lilly took me to uh, France with him, Joe Dresner. Joe, rest in peace. Um, And uh, to the Dive Botte, which is very popular now. I think I went to the second one back then or the third one. Uh, And uh, uh, it was like a natural wine fair back then, way before natural wine was a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, I mean, David Chang was at the Dive Botte I went to. Wow. Which is crazy. That consider, is crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's how, 2008, uh, it was in Deauville, uh, which wow. is one of my favorite cities in France. Casinos, great old school Jean-Pierre Melville films too. Uh, you know, Bob Le Flambeur. Anyway, um, and then, uh, it was an amazing experience. I, I, loved it. And then we went to Macon. I was in Burgundy. Uh, I did get very sick on that trip, but whatever. Um, And it was just, Chambers was amazing. And then Daniel Jonas, who we all know, uh, hit me up and he said, Drew Nipront from Nobu is opening a wine store and uh, someone recommended to me uh, that I should be involved in it. I wrote the business plan for it Um, and uh, I was the original wine buyer there. Crush, the whole thing was my design, Um, you know god that makes me think of hannibal do you ever see hannibal a tv show yeah this is my design
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that is quoting a serial killer um but anyway so it was who are highly intelligent that's uh, how you get away with killing lots of people exactly i mean i
0: that whatever you you know it's true people like of course the diff- you can kill
1: 80 fucking people and not or get oh, caught and not get caught you're Exactly. The Zodiac Killer got caught on purpose. Right. So he would have never been caught ever. Um, and the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath is like huge. It's, it's a huge. Ch- chasm. And, and,
0: and no one was harmed in the taping of this podcast. Yet. Yeah. It's not over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. And then, so Crush was incredible. Insane! It was an incredible experience. I lived above the store. Coincidentally, um, it took a very long time for it to open, and then it opened. And it, 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 I mean, the way it opened, it was, it was crazy. We're in there. Drew was even in there. We're putting bottles on the shelf, and Drew's like, "We're opening tomorrow," and I'm like, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah." And we opened, and Crush was awesome, and it was great. I left um, to go back to Chambers because it was just it was becoming too. Uh, too much Krug and Dom Pérignon for me. That's the best way to say it. Okay. Um, I love Krug and Dom Pérignon. Don't get me wrong, but the you know the store became very heavily invested in those relationships, and I felt I was being squeezed out. And it just—I don't know. It just. It wasn't it, it was not my thing. Um But, you know, I the people I worked with there, I mean, you know, I mean, Chris Cottrell, who now is uh under the wire bedrock, you know, he was a stock guy. He was my homie. I still love Chris. And, uh, you know, Joe Salamone, who's still there. He's the wine buyer. Steven Bitteroff, who's now doing Von Boden. Yeah, Von Boden. That was my crew. Yeah. Steven, Chris, Joe. And McFadden, Ian McFadden. I got to say, what's up to Ian? He's uh, my favorite follower on Letterboxd. And Ian is, I love those people. I love that store. It was great. Um, You know, went back to Chambers and it was terrific again, but I felt kind of, you know, I was, I needed something more. I left Chambers, um, you know, and I could have worked there for the rest of my life if I wanted to, but I needed to go up. Um, And then was kind of like a little down period for me. I mean, Oh, I didn't leave chambers. Basically. We all remember what happened in November and September of 2008, the financial crisis. Uh, and you know, I got laid off with like 12 other people or 10 other people on the same day. Uh, you know, they hated to do it, but they had to do it. I mean, that's that's harsh, but yeah, it it is what it is. I mean, I'm still friends with them and it was, you know, it was, it was a, Mm It it sucked, um, you know, and I was unemployed for like eight or nine months, longest I've ever been unemployed in my life, and it was a dark period for me. I did not enjoy being unemployed, um, and then I finally hooked up with this weird store called the Green Grape, and I convinced them to write a newsletter, you know, and I the, and then I get some other profits. It lasted three weeks because I was micromanaged by the guy, you know, <laughs> so did not like that. But someone else saw the newsletter and hired me, Daniel Posner, Grapes, the wine company. Um, And he hired me and, you know, and that's when I started to really sell wine for Daniel. It, it was very successful, um, you know, and uh, then. My business partner, who also was a customer of mine at the first retail store, the wine shop, the place I got fired from because of the cork cork thing I wanted to do. Um, His name is Matthew Cohen. And uh, all you need in life is one person to believe in you. That's Mm it. You know, because I was stagnation. I was stagnating, you know, I kept going from one retail store, bouncing back and forth, and I knew I had so much more I could give and offer and contribute. And Matthew, you believed in me. I'd sell him tons of wine and everything. The first time I met him, he was walking out of the wine shop with some garbage bottle, and I said, you're not leaving with that. You know, I gave him a bottle of like Dane Mont-Louis or something. I'm like, try this. And then I go to his house for dinner and we became very friendly. He'd buy from me at every store, you know, and then, you know, and he's the one who believed in me. He said, you know, you can do a lot more than just, you know, keep working for, you know, the other people that you have obvious friction with. Um <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, uh, he was right. He believed in me. That's, it's the most important thing. And, uh, I left grapes. Uh, it was contentious, obviously. Come on. You haven't figured out the pattern yet. Um, Mm -hmm. left grapes and open fast elections in 2013. Our first offer was March something March 7th or 8th or something. And, uh, it was a, it, it's been up and down, you know, I mean, it's been up for a very long time, but at the beginning you your own company is really hard, really hard. Like we had no idea how we were getting the wine over here after the first offer, we we, we figured it out eventually, obviously, Um, you know, shipping is always a challenge because we only ship a couple times a year. That's a challenge. And we partnered with some warehouse who they claimed that they were going to solve the shipping problem, you know, because the shipping problem, it's almost like the trolley problem, you know, the, you know, the, you know, that whole thing, Mm -mm. Uh, the, the, there's a ethical thing, you know, there's a train running down the track and, you know, you can either save one person or, say, five people. That's like the trolley. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, That's you know, the problem with shipping and retail, especially with 3PLs, uh, which are, you know, independent warehouses that ship for you, is that the people who, you know, wine is a highly detailed thing. So, you know, I'll have, you know, Torla, who are drinking right now, they make six wines, they make a whole uh, Riesling and a whole uh, Pinot, and they get, the people who are packing the wines, they don't know anything about wine. Right, All right. right, so, right. That's the problem, and right. their mistakes are made. Yeah, and unfortunate. So this warehouse claimed that they figured it out because they would have sommeliers and stuff working packing the boxes, and I just start thinking, what sommelier wants to like work on the floor of a warehouse packing boxes? Well, you know, uh,
0: there's there's plenty of jobs for them now because everybody's got a oh yeah WSET exactly
1: nowadays. They went out of business. Um, Let's just put it that way. Uh, It did not work out. And eventually we found, you know, we, and then we had another warehouse uh, called Vingo. Uh, We actually nicknamed it Vingon. Did did shit come up missing? Oh, God. Oh, God. A lot. Uh, They actually quit in the middle of a ship uh, and we settled with them. Uh, And then. You know, our current guy, Wine Care Logistics. I mean, the shipping is like a huge part of my job. Shipping is probably very boring right now to everybody. Wow. You're smelling that. Yeah, man. man. Fucking wow. Um. Let me get some of that. No more shipping. It causes me consternation. The kid. The kid. The kid. Oh, my goodness. The kid is in the house. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Can you hear MJ? Tell me initially what you think the difference is between the German Pinot and the uh, reborgion, the Pomar Peserol. Uh, the, the
0: the Pomar is just it's such more, got way more perfume. Just, I mean, just, I just, it just is like, let's see. Mm. Oh, and there's there's like some some asian spike spice box Mm -hmm. on the nose what came to mind was the uh perfume samsara which had that spice box thing going on
1: um oh yeah and it's got the silk
0: yeah i mean it's i was i'm trying to think of the analogy like of like if you had like two supermodels they're both pretty but the one is just a little you know
1: a little extra, yeah,
0: right. Okay, so yeah, you basically say we got a uh, Claudia Schiffer versus like Linda Evangelista over here, man. Dude, you are definitely speaking my language. Yeah,
1: um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's interesting. You know, and too bad about Linda Evangelista right now. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's with the, very sad. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, oh my god, and the finish on the Pomard is just it's just so long and like a I long. haven't even taken a sip yet. Oh wow. I, I want to go back to something yes. that you
0: said though because um, yeah. you started your company how hard it was uh, on your website. Did you write the manifesto when you first started? You have the yes. Ma- and, it, and it says the manifesto of a rebel wine retailer and it yes. asks the questions why do we pay two and a half to three times as much money for the same bottle of wine as consumers do in Europe and have you ever wondered why fine wine is so expensive in the United States? Why, and I think just from having talked to you, just for the time we've been together right now, definitely gonna have you come back on another time. <laughs> um, but uh, why do you think those are important questions to ask?
1: Well, I mean, I I have friends that are distributors, and I need to apologize right now before I go into what I'm about to say. Um, at the end of the day. One of the most important things. All right, so these so distributors claim they're adding value. All right, hmm. That's fucking wine, amazing, right? Twenty-two years old, and he made that when he was like nineteen or twenty. Dude, wow! Right, and just 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 I'm just gonna tell you, I sold this for sixty bucks. You can't find Pomar Pomar petrol I was gonna say, pom- what the fuck? Direct, because you know. I'm not adding any value. Dude, that is so good.
0: Anyway, I, I had to just because I took this No, it's wine. a poetic,
1: beautiful wine. Mm. You know, it's like
0: that thing, <laughs> that moment. You ever like slow dance with a girl and you just got the perfume and you smell them like the nape of her neck and you the way it smells. And then once you go in for the actual kiss, it's like it was everything that that perfume. Yeah, it's one of that's alluded I Alluded to, so, like the seduction of it just mm-hmm. and it fulfilled that, yeah.
1: And there, there's, there's a sweet fruit yeah. to Pomard. But, I, you know, Pomard versus Volnay just uh, – and also in 2019, Pomard is a sweet spot in the Cote de Bone. I've had so much Pomard. I've had so much Volnay. The Pomards are just like a little bit better in 2019. There's more of a completeness. I think it's the best Pomard vintage since uh which it's just a very, very special vintage. And Pezzerolle Pezzerol is such, such a – just great. So the three-tier system – I mean the three-tier system – you know, Joe Dresner is a huge influence on me. I just need to say that. He had, he called it the three-tier schnook system. God, um, damn, that's fucking good. Sorry. And Talk about the three-tier system. No, and it just. Because I live know, in Jersey. And yeah. it, it, that's one of the worst. No, every, it's a shit show everywhere. I'm just going to be completely cool. honest. Um, I don't feel so bad. You know, I mean, it's necessary for like. Kendall Jackson, where you're selling a million and a half cases, you know, you need a distributor. But is it necessary for. Here, can you read? Can you grab that bottle of Pomard and read the numbers on the upper right? Upper right. See that? Oh, okay. Yeah. Number 32 of 320.
0: Do you need. No, a extra why, layer you know why you know because first of all fucking if like your volume you make your money you're gonna just sell the shit like you like you gotta you gotta be passionate to sell wines like this of
1: course exactly right? i mean and it gets a lot like
0: so many like and that's how they get some of these bigger distributors get boutique stuff is just like they just move so much shit mm-hmm. and right. and then and then someone sells their winery to a bigger thing and they're like, well, we're gonna go with this distributor now, right? And um, I digress. No, I've been completely
1: I mean fucked so many times. Like, because I am out there, I'm not gonna reveal how I research my wineries, but believe me, like there are people that are seeing what I have and just going to the producer and saying, you know, I'll take it all. I'll take it all, you know, and, you know, just stepping on my game, not doing any of the research and figuring out, trying to find new wineries. There's so many people that have done that to me. I mean, it's just endless. So, but the other part of the, the manifesto of the Rebel Wine Retailer, yep. there's an important sentence in there as well called great winemakers are born every day. What are you reading my fucking notes? Here? Oh, yeah. Great winemakers are born every day. So, it's not like this. I'm not, it's not this hopeless feeling if I lose a winery. Yeah, like you help build someone up. You
0: you really care about their wine business relationship and then somebody's like, "We need Burgundy, and we those, we'll just buy it all." Oh, it them. hurts me so much! It kills me. It's like it's like that's like I, I can imagine like being like the college coach, the kid committed, you know, mm-hmm. and then like and then he breaks his letter of intent, or even worse, they come for a year, don't play, sit out, want to transfer,
1: and you know. <sighs> it kills me so much man i find people in the middle of the middle of the middle of nowhere and then some jerk off who does no work comes in and scoops them up that's the worst
0: you know what's the best about this wine too Uh, the the oak
1: oh yeah (laughs) how it frames it it's amazing and he made this when he was like 21 or 20 i mean it's uh, this is ludicrously good man yeah I mean, now to geek out for a second. So he's got a lot of incredible terroir in Pomard. Actually, one of his best wines is not even a premier crew. It's called Pomard Lavache, Lavache meaning the cow. And uh, it's from the center of Pomard. And it's priced as expensive as his premier crews. 110 um, year old vines. I think it's some of the oldest vines in Pomard. It is in. Incredible. It needs a much longer A's than you anybody. say
0: hundred and ten year old vines?
1: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not buzzed. Right. I mean I might be, but I didn't oh. <laughs> I mean my that, that's uh, you know. That's, that's the bonus with wine, you know, yeah. is not only does it taste delicious, it makes you happy. Um, and it, and it's constantly evolving. Like even, you know, now there's this beautiful violet tone, but I, what I love about Pomard, it's super stony. And that's mm. not because I'm a deadhead. Um, <laughs> all right. It's, it's beautiful. Oof. Like Volnay doesn't it, it's, have this. you right. I mean, it, it's only been open like 15 minutes. It's mm-hmm. changing
0: in the fucking glass.
1: <laughs> this is the way it always works, man. The Burgundy is always the center of attention. This is why Burgundy is the largest part of my business. I will have to say I love the German Riesling. I love the German Pinot. I love all the other stuff. But at the end of the day... It ends with Burgundy. I,
0: I, you know, I just picked up some stuff from you. One of the German spot you
1: like? Oh yeah, the uh, the young vine of this. Yeah,
0: but um, I don't have to fuck. I don't have money, but I'm gonna have to fuck with your Burgundies. These are this is oh insane. I got you. No question. These and, are fucking insane.
1: And we have we have short vintages. Yeah. And the thing about Robert this is the most important thing. <sighs> he will be famous, and this this is my job. This is my job as an importer. Is I have to you know you know I'm like uh you know who. Let me let me let me you're like we, a star we have, we have, maker. Let's see. Like, we haven't talked about hip hop yet. So I think right now is a perfect yeah, say Let's talk about some other other passions because like shit. Are you are, Russell Simmons? And, you know, basically like I'm like the Russell Simmons of Burgundy there. All right. I'm trying to find the next. I mean, Russell Simmons in amazing, amazing career. I mean, just what what he found, he has changed what we listen to as, a, as not only just a country, the world. All right. So I'm not saying I am as talented as Russell Simmons. Please. No. But I'm saying is like, I'm the only guy who has Raborgie on. Well, I hold gar- on. I, there, but the talent is finding talent. Oh,
0: yeah. That's the whole and, thing. And so like, so you could be as good at finding talent and wine as Russell Simmons was at hip hop. That'd be amazing. I mean, and, I, and you know what? I You know what? Actually, you know who you remind me of? Fucking Peanut Butter Wolf. Peanut Butter Wolf. Oh, my God. So you're I like love... the
1: underrated motherfuckers, right? Peanut so Butter, Butter Wolf and I... Charisma. Yeah. Peanut Butter Wolf and Charisma. Oh, my God. Rest in peace, Charisma. Green Light. Oh, God. I listen to that I bump all the time. That album is so good. Yeah. Oh, it's so... Actually... There's get...
0: nothing for me. Actually, am There's There's nothing better than like West Coast, East Coast hip hop. Oh my God! Yes, like that peanut butter Christmas shit. Like, like mm-hmm. there's certain people, like, like, uh, Souls of Mischief, like Souls of Mischief, Souls of
1: Mischief, ninety three till infinity. Oh my please. God! That is that that song turned me on. I did a show with my buddy Devin Horowitz, who is the guy behind Nature Sounds. He's super down. of MF Doom, uh, rest in peace again. God, I hate. I've said rest know, in peace so many. I times. know. Listen, we're at that age where so many motherfuckers are dying, right? I know, but MF Doom's death really
0: that was some oh my god and you know but again a resurrection right like
1: like, oh my god like like like, like, like kmd people don't know about kmd do no one knows about kmd you know and they were it was kmd was i mean well you know they
0: were they look at when they came out but there's groups there's like there's 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 hip-hop artists who are hip-hop artists artists right and they're that type of thing black moon black moon right don't front, you know, I got you open.
1: Oh, my God. And, um, and Buckshot. Buckshot. The shortest, baddest fucking guy <laughs> ever. I saw him live I, I, at a, a place in Brooklyn. I don't remember what it was called. It was basically Smith & Wesson was doing uh, something with like a live jazz band. And they did all the classics. Buckshot was also there. And The Five Foot Assassin. I mean, come on, man. Short. Talk about a short king. Yeah, I mean, come yeah. on. And uh, I just, you know, and I was I was a deadhead that got super into hip hop. I mean, souls, you know, quick. We, there was this club in Boston called Paradise and Devin put on a show. My buddy Devin with Nature Sounds. It was Dell. All of Hyro. Oh, my God. So, all of Hyro is there. We're talking pep love. We're talking souls of mischief. And we're talking my personal favorite, casual. All right? They were all there. And all right, my parents are definitely not going to listen to this. You know? (laughs) Uh I, right now I'm at the point where like will I say this or will I not? This is this will be for after. Uh, but basically we had a really good time at this concert. They hung out at our house before. Dell is a maniac. Fun fact, he dated Jerry Garcia's daughter. Um so there was definitely a, a connection there. Adele was Dell killed. Did, so- you, did you tell um um Sam that? What? Sam Katuri? What? I did not tell Sam that. No.
0: I should have because he knows her. Jerry's his guy. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, Del and uh, Jerry's I daughter. I've met her
0: virtually. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Del she and Jerry. Weed
0: now. Uh, uh, shocking. So- shocking. Exactly. Well, she grows weed now. Shocking. Exactly. She grows weed now. Oh, God. She grows weed. So, anyway.
1: But anyway. We walked around Boston with Del and Hiro and Pep Love and Casual until so the sun came up. We were off all night. Just certain things you take that keep you up all night. I oh, was so You're up all night. You're up all night. We were up all night. It was a lot of fun. It was an incredible kind of, the fact that and you have to understand what the Paradise Club was. It was like the EuroTrash Club. Okay? Right, right. And the fact that we put on a hieroglyphic show at the EuroTrash Club was this huge victory for all of us. I mean, we were so that fact that we got them there, it was amazing. I will never Ever forget that Dabalina. That Dabalina was Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob. Dabalina. Amazing. I mean, I was <laughs> out of my fucking mind, dude. All right, and the, and I'll never forget when they dropped into Dabalina. and then I, you know, seeing ninety-three till. I mean, that was the golden age of hip hop. The shows that I saw were incredible. Organized Confusion and Nas oh at my Boston God. College. Are you fucking kidding me? No, that was Ma- Crazy. Farrow I was organized March. three times when I was a hero.
0: March, motherfuckers, dude,
1: and that Farrow was. Incredible then And Organized Confusion Is one of my favorite Hip-hop groups Of all time Pudge, Pudge. Just you know Crush Kill Destroy Stress Is just Oh my god That album That's you know It's so funny That's like The
0: beauty of like New England Northeastern Liberal Arts Colleges <laughs> They had all the fucking hip hop people came through there, man. It's amazing. I'm like, sorry. cause they had budget. Like they, they, like you know, I used to hang out at Wesley. They had a Malcolm X house. They had a budget. So KRS One came through. I'm like, every Tribe Called Quest came through. De La Soul. Like, like it was amazing. Like, and that's and that's kind of like one of the things about hip hop. Like, that's why people don't realize. Like, people think like, oh, uh, white kids been in hip hop forever. I mean, cause you New York City mm-hmm. Beastie Boys, of course, third base. But like. These, these, and also the connection between Ivy Leagues and hip hop with, with Stretch going to Columbia, mm-hmm. Bobito went to Wesleyan, so you had the little Ivies. They were taking
1: all these fucking Dude, shows Stretch. to all these these little colleges. Stretch was like peripherally in my crew because he dated a girl who was hanging out with all of us. He dated this girl, and I always saw Stretch around college. I met Stretch in at Wesleyan. He was dating this girl,
0: Chalet, who lived with this woman. I was dating Simone. Like, so it's
1: like. Oh, Stretch. Always was dating someone amazingly beautiful. Yeah. You know, you know, um, um yep. <laughs> you know, that's hip hop. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and stretching and Bobito, just the documentary. I don't know if you saw that Yeah. YouTube, oh my it was, God. It was amazing. Dude, it brought back everything to exactly. me. Exactly. Everything.
0: Because i was like, holy shit. I remember because Bobito had graduated and like, oh, Bobito's coming back. There's going to be a party at uh, La Rasa or he's coming to the Malcolm X house. And mm-hmm. then stretch would come with him and do a fucking set, you know, and then so many of those kids, like, like I saw a documentary, like the source was started by some Jewish kid who went to Harvard. Like people oh, yeah. don't understand the connection, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then I know two people. I know someone who was the editor of the source for a while, and I know buddy who wrote for the source and wrote for Rolling Stone who went to Wesleyan. So it's it's just really interesting that that
1: collision, and that has to do with New York City too, of though. Of course, it's, that's all New York City. Mm-hmm. I re- I will never forget the first time seeing the scenario video because mm. I was like super into video games right. and the scenario video. Was all about video games, man. If you were a video game dork, like you were like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then Busta's Verse, forget it. When Busta came out, I was like, who is this guy? That's (sighs) literally,
0: you know. And then just the connections. College was amazing back in the 90s. It was, I mean, I'm all over the mic. Sorry, guys, but we got a bunch of great wines. But yeah, I remember. I went to Southern Connecticut and um, Paris from EPND and went there for a year. So he used to come hang out in New Haven. He would bring Redman, you know, uh, mm. and then we'd have these fucking house parties. And the um, house
1: parties at college, and the but, and then another kid that, like
0: from Long Island was went to school with Charlie Brown and and Boston Rhymes, and he was at <sighs> the graduation party. So I met him there. Like it, it's like I met the Roots a woman I dated who went to Penn. Like the the, the connection of like. And it was accessible. Yeah, it was
1: accessible. You could hang out with these people. It was totally accessible. Yeah,
0: Hip-hop is so different now.
1: It is so inaccessible. It it, it was so different. They were just – you were just chilling with motherfuckers back in the day. Exactly. I mean, my friends went to a show. I did not go that night because I was not feeling well. It was De La Soul performing in the hallways of MIT with a keg of Guinness and like 13 people. (laughs) I mean (laughs) – this is not like that far away i mean you know it's in 1995. i mean it was just uh i was very and i didn't know then that what i was experiencing was important i just i don't think i i don't think any of us did it it was just like this shit is dope yep exactly but it it
0: uh, you know but as we Wow! This uh, the Roussan got good, huh? Well, it was it was good before. It, it. was good, but it got. I good. mean, it had a lot of tension. You know, they needed to mm-hmm. um, allow itself to do what it needed to do. Um,
1: Not to get back to wine or anything, but the Turla has sweetened up Let's beautifully. Get on the mic, I'll get on there. Yeah. Um, make sure you're on the mic. Yeah. Yep. Uh, no, no question. Um, um, the the more I imbibe, the less the mic is near I, my mouth. I know <laughs> it's okay. Sneakers.
0: Um, oh. Dude, sneakers. All right, so we gotta definitely. Here's do. how See, I started. Here's how I started following mm-hmm. Lyle Fass, and I didn't know who really was. It was just Grape Lyle, and um, thank God for fucking um, wine critics, because he, he his Instagram account. He'll let you know it's it's uh, at Grape Lyle, but like it's just pictures of fucking sneakers. <laughs> But I was like, why the fuck is Jeb Dunnick following this dude? <laughs> I'm like, if Jeb Dunnick, like, I'm great, but it has something to wine. But I'm like, if Jeb Dunnock's following him, I'm going to follow him. And like, okay. So I was telling my producer, I was like, you don't even know. I Everything, like, this is like, this could be, I have to have you back. We just, just need to freestyle next time. Yep. Yep. Okay. So my first love, uh, music, sneakers. I worked at a running store. I used to have all the fucking sneakers, bro. I got out of law school. Didn't want to be a lawyer. I went to work for Reebok, bro, when, when oh, they wow. signed Allen Iverson. I had, and I was sample size, size nine. <sighs> now Back now in the day. Now jealous. So I had, I had like the original questions with the red, the, mm-hmm. the red suede, but also. Do you have the D Browns? I did not. I, I had the Sean Kemp's though. Oh my god! Okay, but I would also have. We didn't do this colorway. Uh, didn't test well, mm-hmm. but here you go. So I'd have like oh my god. stupid colorways of Iversons of Sean of Sean Kemp's. Um, I was like, what was that fucking running shoe? I, I was doing my own research. I was like, I was like spent. Uh, oh, I had the the DMX trainer from them. Um. I remember I actually had Air Force Ones when they were Air Force Ones. Yeah. Like it was just called the Air Force. They didn't even say the Air Force One. Mm-hmm. And they didn't when to- Rashid Wallace was wearing them actually playing basketball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had the original Air Max. How did you, and I see the similarities because it's collecting, right? Yeah. But how did you get into sneakers? Like, had a sneaker culture.
1: I mean, it started, I'm a huge Nick fan. Sorry, I, I mean I, I feel you. Yeah, I mean at worse. I was a Nets fan because I'm from Jersey. <laughs> but you still got those championships. I we did get it. we did. You know you still got those championships. Yeah. I'm still waiting. Whatever. I can't talk about being a Nick fan. You know, just yeah, I'm a little sad. Oh, hold on. Um. So basically, I was a huge Nick fan. I've always been into sneakers, and we all know who was the number one nemesis. Stephon Nefesis.
0: Marbury. Yeah, <laughs> those sneakers. Starbury. Oh Star-Berry. my God. God.
1: Was... And and the Ew- Ewing's were, were great, but the number one nemesis of the Knicks. Back in the day, was Michael Jordan. Well,
0: I say it all the time. Mm-hmm. I'll say it again. Fuck Michael Jordan. Oh yeah. If you are, and I'm not even a Nick fan. Here's how. Here's listen. If if you are, if you're a Nick fan, it is like you. Yes. Can he? He's play? Satan. Can you respect it? Yeah. But like, fuck you. Get get away from me, Satan. My thing, Michael Jordan, Georgetown. Back in the day, 1982. Patrick Ewing, senior year. Oh, yes. Who fucking beats him? Not James Worthy. Nah. Some fucking skinny, big-eared freshman named Michael Jordan. Hits a shot. Times, you know, like last 30 seconds, whatever. And I was like, and so like, I tell people, I'm like, fuck Michael Jordan. He's beaten. And then... You had to be a Nick fan for for me for Starks for no other reason but John
1: Starks was so gully. Dude, seriously, that's like the greatest moment in Nick history. Sorry. When he dunked over him? Come yeah. on, man. Of course. That it's was the best. that was it's our championship. Yep.
0: That's exactly. <laughs> that was it. That and no one knew he had ups like that. Like nope. like <laughs> That was, that's one of the and nastiest. We loved
1: things. Stars because he was bagging groceries and then he was dunking on Jordan. Yeah. It's very New
0: York. So, you so know? yeah, so I digress. So I, when people say, I'm like, no, fuck Michael Jordan. If you are a Georgetown fan, if you
1: are a Nick fan, fuck. Mike. I he'll never be on the podcast. I he might. I respected him, but you know, I remember watching those playoff series and I knew down by two, a minute to go, I knew we were gonna fucking lose. Like against the Bulls. I just knew it because he was impossible to stop. It was the it was just oh it was so bad. But anyway, I loved his sneakers though. Okay? And I definitely had Jordan's. I've never
0: had a pair of Air Jordans. I proudly can say that.
1: Oh, I, I loved them. But I was definitely more into Air Revolution at the time, I'll okay. admit, all right? And the Revolutions were huge and bulky. I definitely think the Ewings got inspiration from Revolutions. They had the big Velcro strip. And I love my Revolutions, you know? So I had Revolutions and Jordans. Everybody had Jordans. You had to like, we. I I went to a private school with like ties and shit. But during gym class, man, that was that was the time you flexed, all right. And then I would put my Jordans on. People are like, oh shit! And you could actually get Jordans back then. It's not like it is now, you know. Um, and you know. I, I kind of just was really into Jordans for a while, just like every every young kid growing up in New York um you know it was it was our luxury item and you know and then you know and I was a collector, but I wasn't a big collector, you know, and then around two thousand and ten, I started to definitely get more into it with uh, the Nike SBs Nike skateboarding Nike yeah. skateboarding was like huge for me because the creativity was so interesting uh, they had so many interesting pairs like the baby bears you know the Heineken Dunks, and the and and the what does and everything and the, the, the most creativity and the most greatest energy was within the Nike skateboarding line and I would you know they were cheap Jordan's were you know Jordans were a hundred Nike SBs were like 70 80 there was a huge difference especially from on a budget. Now, Nike SBs. I have sold all of mine for a ridiculous profit um, because the hype is insane now. The hype train is crazy for Nike SBs. I could have moved them, you know, whatever. But, you know, I'm all about quality. If anyone who's tasted the Fast Collections Wines knows I'm all about quality. So eventually I would get away from Nike because Nike's not all about quality, Nike's about hype. Um, you know, the shoes are uncomfortable. And, you know, I hope I don't get sued by Nike. The shoes are uncomfortable. No, this is this is literally an opinion. You don't okay. Mean, you know, yeah, I don't. The, the, the the shoes are I uncomfortable. Know about lawsuit, I think you can still have an opinion. That's and, not and, slander. Oh, and the quality control sucks. All right. That's that's the quality control is terrible. Um, and, you know, eventually I was going to figure this out because in the beginning I was like, yo, I'm wearing these dope Nikes. I got the Air Max 90s, the Air Max ones, all these different Air Maxes, collabs, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized it's all bullshit. Uh, and that's when I got into New Balance and Asics because that's really where the quality was for me. Well, as a runner. Yeah. It was all about Asics. When I ran, I ran an Asics. ASICs are incredible, incredible runners. Uh, For me, my ASICs that I collect, I'm a huge uh, Gel Light 3 guy, and I'm a huge Gel Light 5. That's so funny. But
0: I remember the Gel Light was the shit when it dropped. Oh my God. I was like, like, bro. Because I actually ran into Gel Lights. (laughs) Love that shoe. They are, and they look like they had the fucking. uh, the original gel light was orange and black and white, it looked like the Cincinnati Bengals, mm-hmm. uh, not the Cincinnati Bengals who have like a more reddish tint, but like the back in the day when it was oh, like yeah. really orange. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, gel gel lights, and then but I will say this about New Balance for me, used to be, I never they were too clunky to run in, they were like old man shoes, like they had like oh, yeah, like as, as a runner, yeah, like as a runner, they're like they, I think their guy was was it Greg Meyer. I was here, at Brooks. Because I actually ran in college, so like I was, in and I sold running shoes. But like now, for me, when when running shoes became like this thing, like guys like you collect them. I was like, what the fuck? They're huge. New Balance collect. New, New balance. balance is yeah. And actually, now I actually have some New Balance trainers. But like you have classic New Balance. You have a pair on today, man. Oh yeah, yeah I've fucking, got a nine nine seven with, with your hook up on. Yeah, nine nine seven was an old man running shoe when I oh, sold yeah. them. But now, like, it matches your fucking outfit. Like,
1: oh, oh, like yeah. so so. I, I read you. You sold all your Nikes. Sold all my Nikes. Just I, they were uncomfortable. The most important thing is they were uncomfortable. That was like the impetus. You know, at the end of the day, I had blisters on my feet. You know, and I lost a toenail running in Nikes. Yeah, they're, they're, just, they're not comfortable. And anybody who believes they're comfortable is is a victim of hype. And I will tell me.
0: you, Nike made better spike. If you actually ran. Racing flats and spikes, but their training mm. shoes are not comfortable.
1: Garbage. They were ass. I love Bo Jackson, but his trainer is absolute yeah. shite. Yeah. Bo you didn't know, know quality yeah. control. Exactly. <laughs> but Nike definitely knew marketing and that's why I had a million Nikes I mean let's just you know be real here I just bought the sneaker freaker book uh, of a- sneaker advertisements of the 90s and Nike's marketing is unbelievable the Agassi shit the Bo Jackson shit oh my god incredible I mean wow. Agassi Agassi was like a Nike icon yep. and no one cared about tennis sneakers until Agassi came and he along. never he won like one championship yeah he wasn't even that fucking good yeah it
0: was all because he's a very good looking guy. he man. was handsome <laughs> yes. he was good looking he had, exactly. the, he had the curly hair
1: and he dated uh, well
0: when he ended up marrying. I don't know who he yeah. dated back, and he probably dated like. Love he dated model. someone
1: famous, and he married yeah, Steffi Graf. Yeah, but he married Steffi Graf, who was yeah. a better tennis player than he was. Oh my God, she. She was I beast. mean, well women's tennis back then you had all the stars Martina Gabriella Sabatini Steffi Graf Billie Jean King I mean Billie, you know arguably you could say women's tennis was much more interesting than men's tennis for a really long Chris period Zepri- of time Monica Seles I mean and Zepri- then her
0: career tragic. but I mean I just watched did you watch the Venus and Serena I mean Venus yep. Serena's a beast but oh Venus Venus was like there's no
1: there's no Serena without Venus oh I, I completely agree I mean I've always thought women's tennis is more interesting because men's tennis, you know, whatever. I, Pete Sampras was the most boring, excellent player of all time. He was you know? so technical. Yeah, so um,
0: technical. Okay, so sorry. I can go off about anything you can tell. I <laughs> know. Listen, I know. Listen, like, like, we fucking need more time. I definitely think we'll, we're going to come back on just like some freestyle shit one time. Just like we're just going to come in, show some wine, and like just talk about what happened that day and see where it goes. Um, tell. um Oh, man. Lyle man. Like, <laughs> I know I, I like I'm like I'm like I'm like it's like it's like a hard stop just because like we, we could just go and go but like we. I go. know I definitely
1: I, feel this was this was a really great conversation because everything flowed beautifully from whatever topic to whatever topic yeah. you know and but we can deep dive on so
0: many more things yes. man and and I'm I, down I, okay cool because I did have like last season like I had Jeff Porter come in I don't know if you know Jeff Jeff is a cool dude Uh and he I and, don't know okay but um but like literally, I, I, you know, we could just keep going, Um, but we can't because someone else has to come in the studio.
1: <laughs> yep, no problem. I am so down for a future freestyle. OK, I will bring some sort of crazy elite wines and there's endless amounts of topics we can talk about. Yeah, I, I listen. So that's going to happen, everybody. <laughs> that's
0: going to happen. The second part two ever is going to be with Lyle Fass. Um, listen, man. Um, really so much fun. Thank you for coming in. Tell everybody where they can find you, how they can be a part of what you're doing. I know you mentioned you're on a, uh,
1: some message boards. Where 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 can people find you? Give them your okay. handles and so what? I have no Facebook. I have no Twitter. My principal social media is Instagram. I'm Grapey Lyle, G R A P E Y L Y L E. That's my sneaker account, uh, even though it's named after wine. And then I have Fast Selections Wine, uh, which is my wine account. F A S three S's. Just think of Fast-ass selections wine. Fast selections wine. And then I'm on Reddit. Find me. That's all I got to say. And uh, I'm also on Letterboxd. If you really want to read inconsequential movie reviews, uh, I'm – Oh, yeah. You got to come back. We'll talk about movies. Yeah, because I love movies. my letterboxd is, hold on. Uh, I just he literally
0: need, has to look it up.
1: I have to look it up because it's just my name is it's very geeky. Um, my favorite. The movie that really turned me on to movies was Alphaville by Jean-Luc Godard. And uh, the main character's name is Lemmy Caution. And it was came out in 1965. So I'm letterboxed. I'm Lemmy Caution 1965. And that's how you'll find me. But if you're interested in, like, reviews of, like, Spider-Man No Way Home, go somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) And for all you guys who are listening out there, don't forget to check out the
0: show notes for each episode. You'll find the info on the wine we drink in the episode, links to cool things we discussed in the show and so much more. We'll have his where you can find him on there. So make sure you check it out. Until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks. Check. Philosophers. Check. Deep Thinkers Check, Wine Drinkers. you checked all the boxes, my friend. Thank you so much for listening. It's your boy, MJ. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.